You know, times like this, one of the things I'm reminded of is, 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 is our need to see God. We're, we're, we're needing to see God at work. We need to see God for who he is. Uh, we, we, we want God to intervene. We want God to show up in the midst of the stuff that is happening. I, I, I want to write over all of that. We need to see God. This, this is a fitting thing for, for uh, Palm Sunday as we're remembering that day when Jesus, in the last week of his earthly ministry, when he entered Jerusalem, and because of the branches pulled down and laid out like a green carpet for him, they call it Palm Sunday, we, we want to, to have God come into the midst of the circumstances of our life. We want the things of God's kingdom. We want God's good kingdom, but... Sometimes we might want it. We want the good of God's kingdom without being good. We want God's blessing. We want prosperity. We want health. We want healing from disease. We want safety from death. We want evil to be stopped, wrongs to be made right. But there's the rub. What if I'm part of the wrong? Or what if there's wrong in me? What if part of the wrong that needs to be made right is actually within us? It's not just circumstances around us or others in the world. What if I'm mixed up in the evil? What if you or I are part of the wrong that has no place in God's coming kingdom? In the story that's before us today, in this passage in Matthew chapter 21, there were those who were in the midst of the religious community But they had no part. In fact, they wanted no part in God's true kingdom. They wanted the good of it. They wanted the blessing of it. They wanted the prosperity of it. But they didn't actually want God himself in the midst of it. Palm Sunday is about God's kingdom coming, of God showing up, of seeing God in the midst of our circumstance. But they're not ready for God or God's kingdom. Actually, we would not be either. We first need Jesus to come in his death for us before he can come and bring us into his kingdom. So we're going to see today. We're going to see several people seen, actually, as we go. We're going to see the blind men believe and see. That the disciples believe and they see God's word fulfilled. That there's joy for those who believe, believe and they see Jesus as God's king. But the tragedy is people that see and yet don't believe. They won't see Jesus, and none of us would see Jesus. None of us would see God as he is until we believe. Sometimes we think seeing is believing, but sometimes seeing is in the way. And we need to believe in order to truly see. Let me get into the passage just before us. We heard it read from um, from Abigail a little earlier. So so what I want to do now is is just turn to Matthew 21, and we're actually going to back up, and we're going to start a couple of verses back, actually in verse 29 of the previous chapter, because this little this little episode just prior, it's kind of like a a a prelude that that sets the pace that believing brings seeing. So in verse 29 of Matthew chapter 20. As Jesus and his disciples were going out of Jericho, and they're going from Jericho on their way up the hill to the Mount of Olives and then over the top and to Jerusalem. As they were going out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. 
And behold, there were two blind men sitting there by the side of the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. You can't talk about Jesus here. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight, and they followed him. They believed who he was. First they believed in him, and so they saw. He caused them to see, and once they saw, they followed him. Imagine you're in that, in that story. There you are on the side of the road in desperate need, and Jesus himself is coming by. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. We know who you are. What would you have me to do? What do you want me to do for you? Riches? Power? Maybe vengeance on somebody who has wronged me? We want to see. And then seeing him, they follow him. It's so simple. Maybe they're, maybe they're simple people. Maybe they don't have a lot else of distractions around them to confuse them. They believe Jesus for who he is. They see him as he is, and they follow him. Well, so now we carry into the story, and the disciples and Jesus are, are up on the top of the Mount of Olives. There's a couple of villages there, and near to those villages, Jesus sends his disciples on ahead into one of those villages, and, he's, and he tells them to find this uh, donkey with a colt that's never been ridden. It's Luke in ver- chapter 19 that tells us that this, this colt has never been ridden before. That's why the colt is still with its mother. And so he's going to send them, and they're like, well, that sounds like donkey stealing. I mean, you could be sent to, what, Australia for that. That's, 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 that, that's going to get us arrested. How can we do this? And so he says, well, he, he tells them how to go about it. If, if anybody says anything to you, just tell them that the Lord has need of it. And you see, Jesus is sovereign here. They're, they go into the village, and it happens just like Jesus said. And some, and some, some people stop him, and they tell him, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay. I wouldn't try that with a car in the parking lot, for instance, but, but it works here because Jesus, first of all, Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. It's good to know that he's in our future. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen, and Jesus is sovereign. Jesus understands men and donkeys. Sometimes there's not a lot of difference, and Jesus is sovereign in the affairs of both. And so they go and get the donkey, and they bring it back, and Jesus, Jesus rides on the colt of the donkey, which carries on that sovereign theme. You see, this donkey's never been ridden before. That's the, that's the point that Matthew is making by reminding us that the, that the mother and its colt are here. Because the first time when you're breaking a donkey colt, from what I'm told, I've never ridden an unridden donkey, but, but you, you, you have it with its mother. That's a calming thing for it. And the mother can show it how this is done. It learns from the mother. And so you have the two donkeys, and Jesus, and, and, and Jesus rides the one. They throw coats over the donkey for a saddle. They throw their coats in the street there in front of them. And um, here is the Lord of the universe. Here is the King of Israel and the King of Kings. And he's riding into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He's going to be buried at the end of the week in a borrowed tomb, because the one who was rich made himself poor, that meeting us in our poverty, he might make us rich. 
He humbles himself for us. Riding in on a donkey, he comes in humility. He comes in peace rather than triumph. This is often called the triumphal entry, and maybe, well, maybe it is, but it's his, his triumph in accomplishing for us what we most needed, not what they thought or expected him to do. It's, a, it's often like that with God. He doesn't do what we expect him to do, but he does what we need him to do for us, whether we knew it or not. He comes in peace. He comes fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9, the prophecy. And this is what I meant when I said that the disciples believe, and so they see God's word fulfilled. They do what he says. They believe Jesus and concerning who he is. They believe him, and so they do what he says, as unlikely as that sounds. And because they do, they get to see God's word fulfilled before their very eyes. We're going to see that happen in Zechariah chapter 9. If you're turned over to Zechariah chapter 9, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll, I'll read a couple of verses here. There, the quote out of Matthew 21 there comes right from verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Righteous and ha- having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. That's the verse that's quoted in Matthew 21, and it goes on. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule will be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare to you that I will restore to you double. Listen to the promises there. He is righteous and having salvation. Jesus comes to end war and to bring peace. By the blood of his covenant, he sets captives free. There's so much here of what he's going to do, what he's going to do that week, and what he still is yet to do when he comes again. He promises prisoners of hope. Those who in the midst of this world dare to hope in him, we believe, although we don't yet see. He says to you, prisoners of hope, keep believing. I will restore to you double. I will give to you far more than you realize. Jesus said earlier in this book, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God and we will be with him we will be with him there's joy for those who believe they see Jesus as king so the crowds are around we read about that as well the crowds around them they're taking off their coats they're going and getting branches and they're throwing those down in the road and and there's this carpet for Jesus to walk on they're honoring him with the little things that they have in their hands That's what the Lord asks us to do. He doesn't ask us ever to do what we can't do other than what we'll do by trusting him. But to take what we have, how will I honor the Lord with what I have? It's an interesting scenario that we're in right now where where it's it's a new thing in a new way. We're saying, how can I, outside of the normal practices of church, what is in my hands that I can honor the Lord with in serving others? What can I take of myself and lay it down Something that I would keep, something that I would use, and yet I will, I will lay that down in honor of the Lord. 
and into meeting the need that he sets before me. Pastor Evan shared some of the ways that we've had the chance in our church body to meet the needs of others. And there it is. This is a, it's an interesting opportunity for us where distractions are stripped away. The normal programs and parameters in which we think this is how I serve the Lord. All that's been pulled back a little bit. And it causes us all, I think, to ask a little bit, how do I worship now? How do I honor Jesus now? And so that's what's happening here. They honor the Lord with what's before them. And yet as they do that, as they cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David, well, there's actually three different responses that occur in the story as we were reading it. There's three different responses. Those, there's joy for those who believe because they see the King, Jesus. They sing Hosanna to the Son of David. They say as well out of John chapter 12, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He is the King of Israel. There's also the, the ones I call the unclear masses. The crowds who are gathering around as they're hearing this parade coming down the hill, down the Mount of Olives, and coming into Jerusalem. And there's a lot of excitement. And anytime there's a parade, well, let's go see. Who knows? Maybe they're throwing out candy. Well, I don't think they were throwing out candy there. But, but a parade is worth going to see. What is this all about? And people are asking, who is it? Who is it? Who's coming? And the answer of the crowd in Jerusalem, they don't quite see that which those simpler folks, those who have traveled with Jesus and those who are coming with him from the villages and from Bethany, maybe from Bethany where Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead just, just a few weeks earlier. So they, they, this crowd in Jerusalem, they're not sure. They see Jesus as Oh, it's Jesus, that prophet from Nazareth. Not quite seeing him as the son of David, the king of kings. And then there's the Jewish leaders themselves. When Jesus comes into the temple, they see him as a troubler of Israel. They see him as an upsetter of the status quo. They see him as the ones who, as the world, in their words, look, the world is following after him. Oh, yes, it will. But when that seems to be happening, when there seems to be a bit of an uproar around him, their fear is this. The Romans are going to come, and they're going to take away both our place and our nation. They're going to take us out of positions of leadership. They're going to blame this riot on us, and they're going to take away the unique privileges that Israel has to be recognized as a, its own nation within the Roman Empire. So they're looking at the status quo, and they're afraid that Jesus is going to upset it. Well, that's reasonable, because he will. That is exactly what Jesus does. He intends to upset the status quo in creation, because the status quo is the world is upside down, and he intends to turn it right side up. He intends to make everything that's wrong right. He will restore to us that which has been lost. He intends to turn your life a little upside down, or maybe right side up. He, he intends to, to, to mess with your status quo and with my status quo. He doesn't intend to leave us as we were, but he intends to take us with him where he is going and to what he has for us. But his disrupting our status quo is a good thing. It's not something that we need to be afraid of. There is joy for those who believe and see that Jesus is king. But the tragedy the tragedy in our story here from, from verse 12 is those people who see but don't believe. 
Let me, let me pick it up there, and it's been a while since we read, so, so we'll, we'll read again. Jesus entered the temple, in verse 12, and he drove out all who had sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold the pigeon. He is disrupting the economy. How dare he? Who does he think he is? What does he think he's doing? Jesus intends to disrupt our status quo. Yes, he does. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of thieves, a den of robbers. There's the verdict. You know what's happening here? Jesus has come to the temple. He's come to inspect the spiritual heart of the nation. And what has he found there? He's found rot in that spirit. He's found corruption in that spiritual heart. There in the outer court of the temple, where it was supposed to be a place where Israel invited the nations to come and worship with them, to see who their God was, that they might join into covenant relationship with their God also. The nations were supposed to be filling that outer court, but there was no room for them. There was no room for visitors in the temple any longer because it was filled with money changers. And it was filled with sellers of sacrifices in order to make money upon money in the, on the religious obligations that those who came to the temple would have. You have taken a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of robbers. And yet there, as, as he cleanses the temple and he throws them out, and then he's, he's healing the blind. He's healing the lame. I, I, I should keep reading there. Verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, oh, they were so sorry for all the things that they had said. And they bowed down. Oh, don't you wish that's how it happened? When they saw what he did, that's what you would think. I mean, if people will see signs and wonders, wouldn't that cause them to then believe? But seeing doesn't lead you to believing. It's not seeing as believing. It's believing is seeing. That's what's going on in the passage here. They saw all the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. And they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? They can't talk like that here. Not here. I mean, the Romans are right over there. When they hear things like this, boy, this is going to get us all in trouble. And this is going to cause a riot. And this is, gonna, this is upsetting our apple cart. Tell them to stop saying those things. And Jesus said, what? Haven't you ever read? It's right there in, in our scriptures. Out of the mouths of infants and babes, you have prepared praise. And then again in Luke 19, this is where he says, if they were not to cry out, if they were not to praise and pray, declaring these things, you see, that's what's going on. Jesus said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer, right? Well, Hosanna is a prayer. It is save us now, rescue us now. And son of David is praise, declaring to Jesus who he is. So these children and the people have brought in prayer and praise back to the temple and the leaders will have none of it. So what, what all this is proving, it's not just, well, things got out of hand with the buying and selling and the money changers and all of that. No, that's exactly the way they wanted it. They wanted it their way, not God's way. God wanted a house of prayer. They wanted a house of merchandise. God wanted a place where people would praise the Lord. They wanted a place where people would praise them. 
And those two can't be brought together. One of them has to be given up. That's what the Lord calls us to do, to give up that which we would want for ourselves, that we might honor him, that we might worship him. And he says, if they didn't, even the rocks and stones, and there's my kids' lesson again, right? The rocks and stones will cry out. One big stone will cry out. The empty tomb will cry out and say, Jesus is risen. Jesus is Lord. But they won't see until they believe. You know, there's, there's more confrontation that comes on in the next couple of days, and it culminates a couple of chapters over. And I'm going to skip over to Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, Jesus gives a final word over Jerusalem after his coming to the temple and his rejection, his being rejected. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, in Matthew 23, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? I would have sheltered you, but you were not willing. Look, see, behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until They won't see him again until they themselves cry out, Yes, Jesus is the blessed one of God that God has sent to be our Savior and to be our Messiah. And we want him as our King. Lord Jesus, please come. That's when they'll see him again. He says, Your house is left to you desolate. Now, there's one more piece of this I gotta, I've got to add in for you. When we were in Israel on our trip last fall, I got to tell this story to the group that, 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 that traveled with us there on the Mount of Olives, looking over Jerusalem with the Temple Mount right there down before us. And I went back to Ezekiel chapters 9 through 11, and we're not going to turn there, but there is a series of movements of the glory of God that dwelt in the temple. And first, that Shekinah glory, the prophet is shown in the midst of all the corruption and the sin that is going on in the temple. While they're carrying out the sacrifices that they're supposed to day by day, they are filling the checklist. But in the midst of all that, there's all this corruption and sin and idolatry happening right at God's temple. And so the glory of God cannot remain any longer. And the prophet Ezekiel is, is, is shown the glory of God it rises up from the mercy seat. And it goes to the doorposts of the temple, and it kind of lingers there in the doorway as if God is reluctant to leave, and yet he must. And it goes out to the, uh, out to the courtyard of the temple, and, he, and, and the glory of God, the presence of God, moves to the eastern gate. And then after lingering there again, the glory of God departs across the Kidron Valley and up to the Mount of Olives, and is gone. And it is written over the nation again, Ichabod, God's glory has departed, their temple is empty, their temple is desolate. And then Palm Sunday comes. Hundreds of years later, Palm Sunday comes. And the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ comes again, that same route, now in reverse, from the Mount of Olives, down and across the Kidron Valley, and in the Eastern Gate, and into the temple courts themselves. And what does he find? You see, God has returned again to the heart 
the spiritual heart of the nation. And what does he find? The same kind of corruption and of men serving themselves instead of God. And the glory of God cannot stay. He says again, your house remains with you. It is left to you. Not my father's house any longer. Your house is left to you desolate. And again, repeating Ezekiel, the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ leaves the temple, goes out the eastern gate, goes across the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives and is gone. And when Jesus is resurrected and after 40 days he ascends into heaven, you know where he ascends from? You know where his departure occurs from? That's right. Acts chapter 1, it occurs at the Mount of Olives. And those angels tell the disciples there that this same Jesus will come again just as you saw him go. He's going to set, in fact, it's that same prophet book of Zechariah that says Jesus in chapter 14 is going to set down, set his foot down on the Mount of Olives and he's going to stomp his foot down so hard that the mountain's going to be split in two. And he's going to come across the Mount Kidron Valley. He's going to come into that eastern gate again. Oh, but Wait. There's a picture of the eastern gate. That eastern gate is bricked closed today. You cannot, nobody, why is the eastern gate bricked closed? All the other gates around the old city, it's a new wall, I, I understand, but all the other gates are open. This one is bricked closed because the Muslims knew of a Jewish deliverer who would one day come, it had been foretold, would come through that eastern gate. And they said, we can't let that happen. So they bricked it closed. And that's why. That's why Psalm 20. Four says these words. Psalm 22 is about Jesus as, as, our, as our suffering Savior. Psalm, Psalm 23 is the good shepherd who leads us today. And Psalm 24 is about the coming king. And Psalm 24 asks, who is able to ascend to the Lord's hill of Zion? And then it brings these words concerning that eastern gate. And Alicia's going to read them for us. Let's read together Psalms 24, 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. That's what's going to happen. That gate is going to open. Just as that psalm said, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift them up, ye ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, and he is coming. I feel like I've already, I've seen it happening. I feel like in the midst of Scripture, as it, as it foretells it, because I believe it, I can already see it. And I long for that day in the midst of difficult days, in the midst of troubles. It is good for us to know that our Lord is coming. We, we can see it because we have believed him. What about you? Do you see it? 
in the midst of the troubles around. You know, these troubles around, distractions peeled away, and our, our, our vulnerability opened up to us again. We're reminded of our own mortality. We're reminded that, that our, our, our finances, our economy is not strong enough to keep it, that our healthcare systems and our hospitals are not vast enough and strong enough and big enough to keep us all alive. That something like this has shown us our vulnerability in, in compared to the things that we easily trust in. The scripture says that, that uh, humanity in fear of death is subject to slavery all our lives. But we see Jesus. We who believe in him know that we need not fear death anymore because Jesus has gone into death for us. He's the author and finisher of our faith, the one who went in before us and the one who leads us along, that even death itself is no, is no victor of me any longer. It only ushers me into the very presence of God. Whom shall I fear? And so, our Lord is coming. Hold on, you prisoners of hope. As the, uh, as the scripture we read earlier reminded us in Zechariah 9, hold on, you prisoners of hope. He will restore to you far more than we ever could have lost. And all of his promises will be true. We can see it because we believe. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of David? That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus comes in righteousness and with salvation. That he himself is God's Son, our Savior. He is the King of Israel. Have you said, yes, blessed is Jesus. He came from God in God's name for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this record of his coming. Father, thank you for the reminder that as surely as he came and just did just as your word said he would, so, Lord, he's coming again. Father, we hunger for that day. We long for it. But, Lord, there's people all around us that see much trouble but do not see Jesus. Father, would you guide us? Would you send us? Would you help us in helping people around us to believe? That they might know what we know. They might believe what we believe. They, may, we, they might know whom we believe. And from that, they also might see that which we hope in. They too would see Jesus coming on the clouds in great glory for our rescue and to make all that's wrong right. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.